Hello, and welcome to Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with director Jared Cohn, whose new film is Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. That's coming up on Endeavors. You're listening to Endeavors Radio with your host, from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McPeak. The music biopic is increasingly becoming a hot and award-winning film genre. Back in 2004, for example, Jamie Foxx, starred as Ray Charles and Ray, winning an Oscar for his performance. The following year, both Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon were nominated for their roles as Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash in Walk the Line, with Witherspoon winning Best Actress. The last couple of years has seen biopics on Queen and Elton John released, both to widespread critical acclaim, with Rami Malek winning Best Actor for his role as Freddie Mercury. The Academy also honored Elton John uh, as he wrote a new song for the film about his life, uh, and it won him Best Original Song, along with his long-term, long-time songwriting partner, Bernie Toppin. Baz Luhrmann, uh, was in the process of shooting a bio of Elvis, starring Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, and Olivia de Jong, uh, before it got shut down due to the pandemic. And of course, we heard later that uh, both Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson were among the first famous people to have tested positive for the coronavirus. But there are other films out there too. Who can forget Oliver Stone's legendary and much maligned biopic of the doors or Forrest Whitaker's respectable turn as Charlie Bird Parker or just a few years back when Ethan Hawke portrayed legendary jazz trumpeter Chet Baker in Born to be Blue. Speaking of Whitaker, uh, he can also be seen in Respect opposite Jennifer Hudson as soul legend Aretha Franklin uh, with that film being released in December and then having a wider release in January. Even Broadway has seen an uptick in the portrayals of lives of musicians, with Bruce Springsteen, the boss, uh, being given a special Tony for his one-man show, Springsteen on Broadway. Beautiful, the Carole King musical, netted lead actress Jessie Mueller a Tony for Best Performance by an Actress in a Musical, uh, for her performance as King, uh, as well as a win for sound designer Brian Ronan. Recently, Sting has also gotten in on the Broadway game. But there's a new film that can be added to this list. Street Survivors, 
the true story of the Leonard Skinnerd plane crash. Written and directed by Jared Cohn, and decidedly more indie than anything else on this list, it chronicles the rise and fall of America's greatest southern rock band from the point of view of drummer Artemis Pyle. What's interesting about the film is that although it is a narrative fictional retelling that uses you know actors in the roles, there is an interview with the real Pyle today that was filmed by Cone uh, and that is interspersed sort of throughout the film. Uh, and the film also ends with uh, a performance, a clip of a live performance of the Artemis Pyle Band. Now, although Street Survivors is a music biopic, Jared Cohn is most definitely not a newbie, and he has directed upwards of 30 films since 2009, a lot of them in the horror genre, but some great B-movie classics, including Underground Lizard People, I love that title, Hold Your Breath, 12-12-12, and Hulk Blood Tapes. He's also worked as an actor, editor, stunt driver, and cinematographer. Street Survivors was filmed back in 2017, and although post-production can take a while, especially for indie films who may have budgetary restraints, in this case, as Jared explains, uh, the film was the subject of a legal dispute uh, between the fi filmmakers Pyle, uh, and the widow of Ronnie Van Zant, But the film and the filmmakers won in the end, and it is finally out, and I spoke with Jared a couple of weeks back. Where, where are you? Are you in uh, somewhere in the south? Uh, I'm in L.A. Oh, okay. How is it out there? Um, it's good. It's... Uh... It's good. Uh, you, you want me to put? I can put on video if you want. I look like shit, though. Oh, it's it's, it's all good. I mean, if, if if you want to stay off video, it's my mind. Mine just, mine just automatically activates. That's just my Zoom settings. So. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in LA, man. Where are you at? Uh, I'm in uh, Victoria, up in Canada. So, like, oh, that's sick. Yeah, like Canada's like, sick, man. Yeah, yeah. So just just here on the west coast, doing. We're actually we're actually doing pretty well. Um, we, uh, yeah, we just entered phase three. So we're, we're starting to see, we're starting to see some, uh, some, you know, c coming, coming back from talking about the, the virus. Huh? Yeah. 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 The, the, the virus. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, let's talk yeah. about, uh, street survivors. Um, this is a film about about Leonard Skinner. Yeah, and you know we've seen a lot of 
either biopics or, or documentaries in the last few years. There was Bohemian Rhapsody, there's Rocket Man, uh, there's a new film about Aretha coming out. You know, there's been documentaries about uh, uh, the band and Gordon Lightfoot and Nina Simone. Um, what was it about Leonard Skinner for you? I mean, you know, the Leonard Skinner. <laughs> They're the best. They're the top. They're the best Southern rock band of all time. I mean, arguably, you know, there was a lot of good uh, Southern rock bands in that time, but they were they were really great. I you know is this true? I I heard that because uh, you actually shot this back in in twenty seventeen, and there is uh, uh was it was there an issue with it? being re uh, being released because you were using the Leonard Skinner name and that was a violation of some oath or something? Yeah, they sued us and they won. And uh, we were not able to legally put the movie out uh, because of this lawsuit. So it, the reason it didn't, you know, it took so long. We should have shot it in 2017. It's, yeah, it's all this legal bullshit that the, the estate you know they came after us so that's all on them which i find interesting because artemis pile was so heavily involved in, in in this production um how how did you get him to tell a story in the first place well artemis is cool he, artemis is the good guy the bad guy is the uh the, this woman named Judy Van Zant, who was Ronnie Van Zant's uh, widow. Yeah, she's the bad guy. She's the one that drove all the lawsuits and you know spent all the money on attorneys and didn't want the movie to come out. Want uh, hates Artemis. Well, most importantly, actually, yeah, this is hates Artemis. There's forty years of bad blood. Um, and overall, you know, a bunch of, they just do not get along at all. So anything that he does, you know, having to do with Leonard Skinner, she's going to try and profit off of, or just stop. You, you made an interesting decision in that you, you know, it's obviously a biopic, so you use actors to tell the story, but it's also interspersed with the real Artemis telling his own story. Um, where, where oh, did, did you, come, where, did, did you watch that it? Did you, did, you, did you watch it? Yeah, I did. I saw it. Oh, oh cool. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's very cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, adds authenticity, right? Yeah. Um, what was it like? What was it like just, just sitting down with him and, and, you know, getting him to, to tell his story after all these years? Um, well, you know, he's told it uh, a few different times, you know, uh, on Big, on, you know, Howard Stern. And, you know, he told um So that was it. And then, you know, he had, he had some, you know, legal issues with them and, you know, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's pretty well documented that, you know, his account of the story, but a lot of the details 
were, you know, are not out there. So, you know, ultimately, yeah, we made this movie for Artemis, uh, you know, with Artemis. But it's, a, you know, he's a great man with a great story. So it's it's just, you know, with, with, with great music and this tragic plane crash. So it was a, a good, uh, you know, it's just a good story to tell, you know, being a, being a one minute you're, you know, rock star, the next minute you have your band is, is dead and you're getting screwed by your record label uh, because he did not, he didn't act. And not a lot of people know this, but he never signed a record deal. He just did a handshake deal with the his record label. So they had all this residuals. Like he thinks it's fifteen million dollars. You know, over the course of uh, 40, 40 years, or, or but I think there's something that, you know, which is not unreasonable. Um, and you know, just you won't pay the man residuals. I think now, I think just very recently something got sorted out, but that was kind of what they had on him. How how closely did you work with him in in terms of, you know, getting authenticity right, or you know, this happening at this point and, and this happening in this point and everything that that went down with with touring and and, and the plane how how much say did, did he have when, 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 when you were filming this and then even writing it? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, you know, again, this is, this, this is his, his story. You know, there's a lot of contradictory, um, a lot of stories that contradicted like one guy, Oh, he wasn't there. He was over here or the pilots were, didn't, you know, didn't wear that jacket. Like, you know, there's so many stories because there was 26 people on the plane and not to mention everyone that's a friend or, you know, knows the band is going to have their account on, you know, who is friends with who type thing. So what happened was you get, you, you get a lot of contradicting opinions, but of course you're working with a guy who was actually there and hearing it from him with like you know emotion and like i yeah you know, i believe i just believe you know ultimately i made the sort the, the conscious choice and i think you know i stand by it that you know the way the the uh, these tragic events unfolded and the is the way that you said they were because you were there you know no one else no one else can tell the story uh, no one else can tell your story except for you so to speak. There, there's a line towards the end of the film where, where the doctor says, oh, you're lucky to have survived. Does, does, do you think he considers himself lucky? Um, I think probably, I don't know. That would, that would have to be, that would be a good question that, you know, I wouldn't be able to answer that for him. That's a really heavy question. Um, so I would I would just have to defer that uh, that one yeah no uh, you know I'm sure it's just a mess you know it's a lot of emotion I'm sure on his end yeah no for sure um you know in in the film that they, they talk about being 
the greatest Southern rock band. And we're seeing now, interestingly enough, with, with everything that's happening in the world, the, you know, Southern identity in, in music is changing, you know, with Lady A and, and, and the Chicks both changing their names. What do you think, first of all, I don't know if you've talked to Artemis about this, but, but what do you think somebody like uh, Ronnie Van Zant would, would make of, of what's happening in sort of, quote unquote, the Southern rock music scene? Um, what do you what do you mean more about like southern? What well, does that mean? Like, so, southern, well, like like because there there's a lot of you know uh, music acts that are associated with the South, like the formerly the Dixie Chicks are now just the Chicks, and forty formerly Lady Antebellum who are just Lady A who have changed their names because of the certain connotations that the words in their in their name have with you know the the, the Confederacy or or or, or with racism. Um, and there was a scene in the movie where, where a Confederate flag was raised. What, and, you know, Ronnie calls him out on that, but what, just what, what do you think, if any, the, the band would have to say about um, that in, in terms of the, how, how political I think music has become these days? Yeah, I, mean, I definitely think it's, you know, he would have an opinion, uh, but he's, you know, not a racist uh person you know i spoke with artemis at great length because it's such a you know uh hot topic uh, especially nowadays i mean always always a hot you know uh important matter and it is you know it is uh you know just to back it up yeah i mean anytime you're talking about you know dixie flags or, Dix or dixie chicks whatever confederate flag rebel flag you know all that stuff is uh, nowadays, you know, sort of considered racist. Uh, but at the time, uh, you know, you're talking about the 70s in the South. You know, it was a different era um, back then. So I, for them, it wasn't about, oh, we're racist. We're just playing our, you know, white supremacy music uh not at all like that was and actually it was a marketing one one story i heard was that it's a marketing tool that was used by the record label uh to really target the, the that audience so i mean it's you're always, you're always going to get some sort of long-winded answer uh because you know everyone wants to be very uh diplomatic you know rightfully so so I mean, for me, I had to include, as a filmmaker, you know, I had to include the flag as a couple times. Um, yeah. You, you may, but you, there's also a decision in the movie, you, there's not actual very much Skinnered music. Does that just go back to the, the lawsuit and sort of Artemis's tiff with, with Judy as to why you didn't include music or, or was it more about, it wasn't about the music. It was about the people. No, I would have loved to have gotten the music, man. Uh, like that, that to me would have been like amazing. If we got like, you know, sweet home Alabama, free bird. I mean, just having like those two songs would have made, 
you know, any, anything else would have been great. I mean, it was, Judy made it impossible for us to get, for us to get those songs. Yeah. I mean, it, she wouldn't let us use them. And, and then at one point it came out that she was like, Oh yeah, we'll let them use it, but it's going to be like, you know, $10 million or something just completely unreasonable. Uh, so we didn't get any of the, the, the Skinner hits. I mean, we got, luckily we got Call Me The Breeze, which I love that song. And Skinner really made that song a hit. Like it was always a great song, but until, and Skinner didn't do many covers. Uh, it wasn't, they, were, they, they didn't, they only did a couple. And Call Me The Breeze was one of them. And luckily that happened to be written by J.J. Kale uh you know rest in peace great songwriter and we got the song that way sort of a loophole but you know would have been great i'm not i'm not gonna yeah i'm not there's no other reason can artistically justify not having Leonard skinner music it was simply a legal uh money matter you know, you, you, you mentioned all these great songs. Of course, Sweet Home Alabama is so iconic. Yeah, it's as, so iconic. As, as a Skinnerd fan, have you thought about what makes, like, what makes that song what it is, why it is such an important part of, of our culture? Um, honestly, I think that was just, it was just, um such a hit and the, the the just from that opening dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like you can't you can't that's a rare jam like i don't and his message and the lyrics like that was great but it's it just every once in a while you just get these iconic hits and you don't really get them that often anymore uh because every, everything is so broke you know your hip-hop People are hip, you know, they're really mostly into that and rock and roll. And there, there's, there's a fusion, but there's so many more acts now that to, like, I can't really even remember the last, like, mega hit. Like, like if you go to a bar today, like any bar in, you know, America or whatever, there's always kind of the same playlist of, like, you know, the, the few hundred, like, great songs that you're, you know, you're just always going to hear. Um, but there hasn't been any, like, n like new, new ones like that. I think rang, like, hit as hard as Sweet Home Alabama. Like, in that world, like, Bruce, like, wanted, what was it, Dead or Alive? Like, you're, you're, like just these, just these, like, these songs that I'm thinking, like, you know, Madonna's hits. But not from like now, like when she was superstar. Uh, the one hit, all you know, all those like one hit wonder acts. Uh, they're not. They're not. The staying power is not as as strong. Why do you think that is? Like, have you noticed anything about maybe music today versus music back then that's different? No, I. You know what? Honestly, I love. Like I'm, I was, I'm, I love, uh, some of the weird, like 
like some K-pop. I love like I'll listen to like Lil Pump, like you know, like Smoke Perp, like all like all these like rappers that are like eighteen and face tatted and colorful, you know, crazy styles. And then I listen to uh, you know some alt rock, you know, just like stuff that's not old. Like I'm talking about like new music within the last few years, but they're not really like there's some crossovers, you know, like you'll get like a Drake track or 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 something that that kind of crosses over, but it's not. I kind of feel like it's not like it used to be like they're never like it's just because there's so many stations now like like this is like pre Napster Pandora Spotify like when like MTV played like the top 10 songs or you know what was total request live or whatever it was there was like what 20 songs something like that and you know, be like, oh, this one dropped from number one and number six, and then now it's back to five, and there's a new one. Like, people were only talking about, you know, the same, same, you know, group of songs. Uh, but now it's just like it's impossible for uh, unless unless you're like listening to like top forty, the station. But I don't, I don't. I don't do that. I, I mean, I just, I listen to random, you know, random stuff. But I, li- I, I like discovering new music. I, I, I really do. It's, and it, it's hard. It's like also hard to discover new music because it, it comes and goes and then some, some things will just resonate and then you'll find more of that artist. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah the the process for you of of recreating the 70s and specifically 76 77 you know there's the hair there was the you know the fo- the the phones the, the the old rotary phones um in you know and even sort of the atmosphere what what was that process like for you in terms of re- trying to recreate that era as best you could well that um <clears throat> i mean basically as my involvement um for the most part was you know just talking with the you know production designer who's in charge you know the production the production designer has you know their team you know and it's art department and the prop dresser and this and that so you you know i wanted to be 100 percent accurate so i basically said you know went out and sat down with her and you know, went through the internet and looked at photos and looked at images and same thing with wardrobe. And I was just like, look, we got to everything. Every prop has to be from before, you know, like a seven seventies era, era before, uh, you know, 77. And, you know, you just hope, I mean, that's why our department is so important, especially I'm doing a period piece because you can't have anything if you have anything on on screen like it'll stick out like a like a sore like a sore thumb you know you're just watching a movie uh like the starbucks cup in game of thrones <laughs> yeah you know it just sticks out like so as a filmmaker 
you want to have you want to have everything correct, or else you're just going to get eviscerated on the internet. Uh, and people on the internet are just always they're always just want to eviscerate you, um, which is fine. I look, I mean, I get it. That's what the that's the internet kind of holds people account holds you accountable. How did you go about um, casting this film, and and you know what what made you choose the the people that you did to portray the uh, to portray the the band? Um, well, you know, you want to make sure they have the right look, and that and that and that and they can act and act like the role. So um, we got very, very lucky. Like honestly, we got very lucky, and. You know, sometimes you can have auditions for for a long time, different rounds and this and that, and and just not get quite what you're looking for. And that's why sometimes you hear on these major studio pictures, especially when they're introducing like like a new actor or you know some like some kid, they'll go like nationwide and on this major talent scout search. Like we saw five thousand you know, Macaulay Culkins until we found Macaulay Culkin. Like we got very lucky in that we didn't have to, we had a good few rounds, but I mean, this is LA. I live, you know, I live in LA, Los Angeles. So a lot of talented actors are here. So when you're casting, like you're only going to bring in the way, I mean, the way, the way it changes is, 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 you know, everything submits electronically. So, you're looking for, you know, a Ronnie Van Zant type, and you have his photo, and you you get so many submissions. So, and, and this is why I re also why I respect actors because anytime a role comes out, like they come out in droves, and you get so many actors. And as the you know, as director, producer, you're just going through the photos and like, okay, this guy looks like this person, that person looks like that person let's bring them in and, and audition them. And then, so you do a lot of the sort of weeding out uh, beforehand, which wasn't how it always was, pre-laptop, computer, whatever. Could, could Ian Schultes, uh, he's the actor that, that played sort of our Artemis in the film, could he play drums uh, when you cast him or, or how, how did that process of uh, actors also being musicians work out? We actually taught him to learn drums, uh, which is like one of my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did. Like he could not play the drums at all, but I basically hooked him up with, and actually it wasn't even a big hookup because they were all there. Some of the people in the cast could play, knew how to play drums and Artemis was there. So they went and they had, some drum lessons he did a bunch of drum lessons for the movie and to his credit he you know was able to drum uh he was actually able to drum enough to whereas it didn't look really silly like it could have been really a disaster and that's another thing. You got to make sure uh, your cast 
can play music if they're playing musicians or if they and if they don't you gotta like at least get them a few lessons because they'll call you out like if it doesn't look right it, it, it could look really badly yeah Two other people that have minor roles in this story are, of course, uh, Steven Tyler uh, and Joe Perry from Aerosmith. And they, they were, had actually um, were the ones that I think wanted to rent out that plane. Um, did you have to talk to, to Aerosmith at all about including them in, in this story? No, no, it's public record, like what that incident and um i don't we didn't portray them in a way that was not is not publicly known so you can get away with stuff like that from a legal standpoint as long as uh you can back it up with the info and and of course aerosmith can sue and say oh we never did uh cocaine and you know you portrayed us in a bad light but if anything, they'll probably just get a chuckle out of it. <laughs> do, do you know if they've seen the film at all? Oh, anyone from Aerosmith's camp? No. <laughs> that would be funny. Like, if anyone's listening and knows anyone at the Aerosmith camp, I'd be happy to send them the movie. That would be a great chuckle. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that a lot of this is, you know, is public record in terms of you know, the crash and everything. And, and, and this was Artemis' story first and foremost. But, but in terms of, you know, examining the crash, did, did you do any research into that or, or did you just go off what Artemis had told you? No, I did. I read all the NTSB and the FAA, you know, crash reports and actual, the actual transcript. Uh, I incorporated verbatim um, when the pilot was communicating with uh, the air, the, you know, the various airports. So uh, I'm actually a licensed un, unmanned uh, pilot, drone pilot. So I have some experience uh, in regards to how the FAA is so meticulous. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good information out there if you if you really dig. Like it's you have to like really get to uh, the sort of inner sites and creating accounts to log in and look at stuff. But it's public record. Uh, that's another thing. There's a lot of things that are public record that people aren't aware about. Um, so and they go, oh, well, they either bury this information or this and that. But a lot of the stuff is, is public, but they don't make it easy. That's the thing. They they make it they make it hard for the public access. You know, but you got to mail in a thing and verify you're a resident or whatever. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. You you mentioned that you're you're a licensed uh, unmanned pilot and Artemis was it he served four years in the Navy was it as a pilot? Um, yeah, Marine. Marines. Uh, how useful do you think was that to the fact that that he survived that that he sort of knew what to do uh, when the plane was going down? Oh, I think that played a big role. Um, I mean, once you have that kind of training, that training does, doesn't leave you. Uh, it's, 
you know, it, it, it's the kind of, it's so hardcore that, yeah, you know, like they don't, that's why they say once a Marine, always a Marine. They don't call them. Nobody says ex Marine apparently because they consider, yeah, they consider you a Marine for life. So they use like former, I don't know, whatever, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he was strong. He's still strong. Like, he's ripped. Like, he's like 70-something. And, like, he plays – he still plays drums for a living every day. Like, he's on the road with the Artemis Pile Band, who I saw live, and they're actually, like, really sick. Like, they play Skinner songs uh, really well, and – other they have their own original uh hits too on on that note you actually you you end the film um at a show of the artemis pile band um why was that important to you and then what went into the decision to to end the film on that note uh oh what do you mean with his current status yeah like with with his current status his current band you you see that poster that says the artemis pile band Oh yeah, I mean that was important. You know, you just we I wanted to let everybody know that uh, you know, yeah, he didn't stop. You know, the man never, the man never stopped. Like he, you know, survived all this drama and and whatnot, and you know, he's still like he's still drumming. Like, so it was a good uh, for me. It was good. Because, you know, you see all these terrible things that is, that is going on with this guy. And then you're like, oh, my God, could it get any worse? And then finally, at the end, you're like, okay, he's still rocking. He's healthy. He's got a new band. Um, you know, he's signing some autographs and get rec getting some recognition for everything. And so it was good, you know, ended on a positive, positive note. And people, people like that, you know, like audience members at the end of the day, like it doesn't, for me, a good movie is a good movie. Like sometimes it's good to open, like everybody dies or like some, you know, something, something crazy, like, which is happens, you know, quite a bit, but it's still always a little, still always gives you, Oh man. Wow. I, it's interesting. It's an interesting choice to end it on a really bad note. Uh, but now I ended on a good note. Uh, because it is a good note story. Because it's true. Because the man is... Everyone else that was in the band is dead. Except for Gary Rossington. Uh, and and the, people that, the people that didn't die on the crash are so traumatized that they all develop uh, substance abuse problems with alcohol and illegal narcotics. And uh, so now it's only Gary Rossington and Artemis Pyle. And, and Gary had a few heart attacks. He's not necessarily the healthiest person. Meanwhile, Artemis is solid as a rock, sharp as a tack, and still goes out on the road and, and drums. Like, that's, a, that's a, a, a real fucking hero, you know? Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about all these you know, movies about bands and musicians and, and singers that we're seeing. Why do you think right now we're, we're so interested in the stories of, of these legendary entertainers? 
Oh man, you know, I mean, I think every team. I mean, I don't. I I would actually kind of say that we've always been, you know, interested. Uh, I mean, there's always been every once in you know there was a little pump of you know rock biopics going on. Um, but I mean, you got the Doors and 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 then and then you have these great documentaries. Um, you know the little punk, uh, little Pete. I'm sorry, little Pete documentary was dope. Uh, the Avicii. Uh, you know you had Trey out of Compton, uh, and then what they did? They did the Tupac movie. Uh, so there, it, it's been going on for a while. Like I don't think there's. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, since the door, I mean, even before the door, you know, the Beatles movie, there's been so many movies about famous musicians that, uh, you know, sometimes there's gaps here and there. Maybe there hasn't been one in a while, but, uh, I mean, there was a movie about this, you know, the Smiths and Morrissey, like some of them are just independent movies that I never even heard of. Like all of a sudden I'm at the premiere for the Morrissey movie and I was like, oh wow, I didn't even know it was a Morrissey movie. Some of some of them just are independent, you know, and you, and you don't you just don't hear of them until unless you're like, you know, sniffing around the internet uh, for new movies. And and probably the same thing with this movie. I mean, this is, this is not a big movie. Um, it's not you know, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, or, or Rocket Man. Uh, I mean. It's an independent film, but, you know, to me, it's a big thing because it's, you know, or whatever, you know, or the people in it involved it, it's, but it's not, it's not, uh, you know, being promoted, like, heavily, like, like, the, like a big studio movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think the band's legacy ultimately is or ultimately will be? Um, I mean, the music, I mean, you know, ultimately, I think people are probably going to look back and they'll say, hey, put on that song, you know, just like, you know, like they have been, like, I think the legacy has been, you know, what it's been, which is, you know, some of the hit songs and some of the more, you know, people that know more will say, oh, yeah, they died in a plane crash. And then maybe someone will say, yeah, they, someone made a movie about it. So hopefully, that, hopefully, I mean, but yeah, I mean, that's really it. You know, there's a 24 hour news cycle. Everything, everybody forgets about everything so quickly that uh, you just can't assume, you know, anybody's gonna know anything, remember anything. Especially the more the time, especially the more the time passes, yeah, it's 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 uh, no, yeah. Did did you learn anything about either Artemis or or Leonard Skinner while making this? Yeah, yeah, you know, as much as I could. Um, learned a lot. I mean, there was at one point before we were shooting the movie, I knew so much. Because I was studying, I was studying like it was a homework, like a college final. Uh, that I, I was like in a Leonard Skinner encyclopedia. Um, 
and I, you know, I want to be that way so I can write like a very accurate script. Now I forgot a lot. I mean, it was so long ago that um, a lot of it's not uh, in my brain, but it's all there. I put it all on the screen. Well, the film is Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Uh, and it is out now. I believe it's available for streaming uh, right now. Uh, so uh, I will I will put it in the show notes once I find out the exact. Uh, do you, Do you know where it's available to stream? Or um, yeah, yeah. It's I have this whole uh, um, list. I, I'll you know let me just read it off real quick. Uh, just some of the big ones. Uh, what the fuck. Uh, come on. Oh yeah, it's on. I mean, I'll just say the big ones: iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, PlayStation, Xbox, Voodoo, Pandego Now, Vimeo, on demand, and, and then it's also on on cable, satellite, uh, in-demand movies, AT and T, Bell, Direct TV, Dish, and Telus. So yeah, someone just sent me that today, like saying, "Hey, it's available on these on these things, like whatever, you know." Just tell everybody. Yeah. All right, well, cool, man. Well, uh, I do appreciate uh, the interview. That was, that was cool, man. Hopefully, uh, people, you know, tune in. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks for thanks for chatting, and uh, r- uh, really enjoyed the film. And I hope uh, more people get to see it. Thank you, Matt. What a, I really appreciate people like you that that take the time and you know to to promote independent uh, independent films and music and you know all that. Thank uh, thank thank Chris and and the gang over at at October Coast. They've been uh, Cliff uh, Clinton, Chris have been have been very good to me over the years. So good, good, great guys. I love yes. Clinton. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right, bro. Well, uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Have yeah. a great day. You, you take care. Ciao. Bye. That was my conversation with Jared Cohn. He is the writer director of Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash, uh, which is out now and available for streaming. That does it for me today. Uh, My guest on Friday will be actress-writer Precious Chong, who, yes, daughter of Tommy, who talks about her new film, The Great Satire. I really enjoyed watching this film. Homewrecker, um, which they shot the entire movie basically um, at her house. Also, next week, I'm super excited, Canadian great musician, multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, producer, Hoxley Workman will be on the show to talk about uh, the new album that he is releasing, the new single, uh, as well as his sort of live streaming that he's taken to do in quarantine, Hoxley Night in Canada. Uh, Further on down the line, you'll hear from actress-director Rami Lagare, actress Magda Ampanovitz, and this is really cool. I'm excited about this post-human philosopher 
Francesca Ferrando. Be sure to subscribe to Endeavors on Spotify, Apple, Google, Breaker, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get and listen to your podcasts. The website, uh, EndeavorsMedia.com, is functional. It's up and running. Uh, it's coming along in terms of updating all, uh, updating it with all the shows uh, that are in the feed. And so hopefully that will be done by the end of the week. And the Patreon page as well uh, will be starting up again soon. Uh, so you, you'll be able to find that at uh, patreon.com slash endeavors. And we'll be setting up a donation page or a donation link to that as well so people can donate and get some Patreon goodies, Patreon rewards out of that. Uh, and we'll, we will also be going hopefully soon to the NCRA file exchange back to that. Uh, and to uh, PRX as well. Also, uh, Endeavors for the last couple of months has had an Instagram page, so you can follow that uh, at uh, Endeavors Radio uh, for promo details. Uh, and as well, you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Endeavors Radio. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you are all staying safe and staying healthy, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye for now. I always like to have a lot of sex. <laughs>